Welcome back to the Wheel Take Sally podcast. My name is Nick. I'm also joined by my brother Andy, as always. And here it is, Tuesday, May 16th. The second round has just completed yesterday with the Game 7 of Seattle and Dallas, with Dallas winning at a 2-1 final. Very entertaining game. Um, you know, when Game 7s are on, they're always must-watch, and that was just quite a game between um, Ottinger and Grubauer, I thought both those guys put on a really, really good display of goaltending and, you know, just, just the sort of level you want to see in a game seven and pretty late-ish into the playoffs. You know, when you're making a deep run, game seven and round two is the difference between going home or moving on to just one round away from the Stanley Cup. So that was a great game to watch, but obviously I don't want to get too in-depth. Well, we'll get into it later. Uh, Andy, I know you'll be happy. Obviously, your Canes have moved on to the conference final for, I don't know off the top of my head, but is is this the second time in four years, five, five. years? That's what I thought it was, five. Because you guys made it in 2019, and then this one. Yes. So um, the teams that are left, uh, I believe it's still Carolina being the most recent cup winner. Uh, 2006. Yes. And then after that, it's obviously Dallas is the only other team that's won a cup. And then between Vegas and Florida, none of them have uh, won a cup. So, you know, it's good to see the new parody. Good to see new faces. I mean, the first round kind of showed the, the, and the first round kind of showed it. Yes. Oh man, that that's going to be a talk later, <laughs> but uh, you know, the first round kind of showed us that this was going to going to be a, a Stanley cup with a new face for sure. Just the fact that Boston got eliminated, the fact that the reigning Stanley Cup champions, uh, Colorado got, got eliminated, and then as well as uh, Tampa being eliminated all within the first round, it, it opened up the doors to to who was going to be the new Stanley Cup champion. So that's that's great to, uh, to see, great for the sport. Uh, like you said, the Southern teams, a lot of representation by the Southern teams here. Uh, Vegas obviously isn't necessarily a Southern team. They're more Western, but they're like the desert team, I guess you could say outside of Arizona, but again, good representation with the last four teams. Uh, and Hey, I think you all have to be proud that this isn't like the, the NBA. Um, I think I saw that this was Boston. The Celtics uh, is the context here. I think it was Boston's like fifth or fifth Eastern conference appearance in the last seven seasons or like, sixth in the last eighth something like that then obviously you have the lakers um, we could also even see a rematch of the heat and lakers in the bubble year so it's like you're you're seeing a lot more new faces and you're not having to worry about seeing the same play over and over again so i'm excited uh, but before we get into the series and start breaking them down i just wanted to get your impressions of the second round you know how did you what how did you feel about the series and obviously all of them outside of the Carolina one, um, you know, just, just your impression of the second round. Um, well, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> on the, on the East side, uh, the two things happened on the East. I think things really went according to the script for Carolina. And so I think that series really sort of went under the radar and I think uh, Florida really just continued rolling on their side. So I think a lot of us were maybe um, lulled 
a little bit, maybe not to bed, but we're definitely lulled by the right, uh, not the right, the east um, for the for the second round. But again, not to say that it wasn't exciting. Um, it was nice to see that Toronto did stammer off the, the shutout there. Um, but two quick ones out in the east and the west, all, you know, both series almost went the distance um, in a much, in my opinion, a much heavier game was was played out in the West. So you got two rest, two really well rested teams coming out of the East, and you got two pretty beat up teams coming out of the West. Um, it's setting the stage for a pretty exciting uh, conference finals, too. I think. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. I think with the well rested West and, or sorry, the well rested East and the pretty beat up. Uh, West. Um, what's funny is, is I think before the playoffs had started, our prediction was going to be the East was going to be that sort of long game, that that marathon, or, and the West was going to be more yeah. of a a uh, sprint. But it seems to have completely just uh, been the opposite. And I was I was a bit surprised. I know on the podcast, I think our predictions for that Dallas Seattle series. I I don't remember off the top of my head. I want to say that one of us picked a winner in six and the other picked in seven. So we knew that series was going deep. Um, but I think I said the Devils in six or maybe the Canes in six. And then you said, you, did you say Canes in five? You may have predicted that one, right? No, I, I said four. I said four said, for, okay, the, the sweep. for the first round and four for the second round. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, you, you were too far off, man. You, and you guys almost had it in game uh game four but yeah so uh, i'd have to agree with your impressions as far as just how the series would go but i will say and this is sort of my opinion but this was a pretty boring second round Um, almost every almost every game was a blowout besides the Florida Toronto series. I, you know, especially with the first three games of that Vegas Oilers, it was just a matter of who was hot that day. You know, uh, right. I, I believe Edmonton won game one by four plus goals or four goals. Then the next game, Vegas won five one. Um, and that's sort of how the first few games of that Dallas crack, uh, Dallas, yeah, Dallas Kraken series went. Uh, but as we went further, the games got a little closer. And Ottinger had some pretty bad games in that series as well. So to me, it was like, I don't know if the goaltenders were having a struggle. I, I don't know if maybe, like we besides said. Besides Bobrovsky. The, yeah, besides Bobrovsky, man. <laughs> what a smart well, move by by Florida. Well, I, I, will, I will mention it as well. I mean, just to add on to the boringness and the blowout factor, um, Carolina, the Carolina-New Jersey series had a goaltender pulled in, all, in the first four games of that series. I think that was the first time that's happened in NHL history. And uh, so, yeah, to your point, I, I did forget about how how lopsided each game was. Uh, and it's funny because I lived in a series where each game was was <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, except for the final one. But yeah, just adding on. Sorry. Yeah. But, but I mean, I think it just shows the sheer talent that, that these teams can have just on a, on a night's basis. 
um, especially with the way the Oilers were clicking on their power play. I don't know where you want to start in, but I th- I think we can maybe uh, I think we did it how last year we would go in the quickest series first and longer series second. So, okay. you know, without that being said, we could just move right into uh, Carolina and the Devils series. You know, I, I thought that the Devils were going to put up a little bit more fight than they had uh, going into the series. You know, I think that they were going to take a big step yeah. forward with that win against um, the Rangers, how they persevered. And they had some adversity in that series going down to nothing. And this series kind of played out the same way when they went down to nothing. I think a lot of people were like, all right, devils are right where they want to be <laughs> down to nothing. Exactly. But the only problem was, is they, they just couldn't muster up the uh, effort that they had in the Rangers series. And, and to your point, you know, I don't know what Lindy Ruff was trying to do, changing his goalies every single game, but mm-hmm the best approach is just stick with one guy. Uh, and I, and that's going to be another topic. We get into another series out West, but you kind of, as a coach, I think when you're in the playoffs, you can't have that one, a one B scenario. And I know that Akira Schmid, certainly his, uh, you know, his star performance, that sort of persona he had kind of fizzled out, you know, the magic was kind of gone, but you know, you had to go with somebody else beside VTech Vanacek. Cause that guy was, giving up. I I don't think, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think that guy, I saw a stat, I think in all of his starts, he gave up four or more goals. So, you know, and, and Akira Schmidt, like I said, go ahead. Even in the game they won, he, he started the game. They won game three. And, and uh, I mean, I don't want to hammer you over the head with it again, because we did it in messages, but I mean, everybody was saying that 8-4, that game 3-8-4 was a blowout. And yes, if you just goal by, if you just go by goal differential, I would say blowout too. But really watching that game, that was anything but a blowout. I mean, if you put up eight and you still let in four, that's nice and all because you have eight. But if you're letting in four against the team that's, I mean, they're hanging in there the entire time, in my opinion. Three shorthanded goals that game, all on the on Vitek Vanacek. It, it it's it really hid the fact that, he, like you said, he he didn't. You, they may as well have just put a sixth player on the ice and had a sixth player try and and play goaltender there, because then I would at least have given them more offensive abilities when when the play shifted, but. This one came down, if you don't mind me, keep going with this. No, go for it. In, in, in my opinion, this one just came down really to what I think we said it would come down to, which is the experience of this club. Um, they did run into a goaltending issue uh, from the coach's perspective in, in the sense that the first th- two games they had to pull Akira Schmid. So, you know, it's more comfortable going in home. Vitek Vanacek has played game one and two already. So it it made sense to me to go with him, to give him the boat of confidence in game three. But despite coming out with the win, I, I don't think that they came out with the goaltending performance they would have liked to. Because if they went in there and if Vitek Vanacek slammed the door on Carolina, which he didn't, let in the four, three were shorthanded, and they hit about six or seven posts throughout that night, which means you're beating the goalie. You're just about a, a fraction of an inch off from scoring. 
Um, so if that performance was a slam the door shut performance, I think game four would have gone New Jersey's way. Um, but it came down to the issue of it wasn't even really a 1A, 1B to me. It was a, a, a struggling veteran or an untested rookie who, who sometimes looks like a deer in the headlights out there with this uh, with the way that this Hurricanes offense is scoring. Um, so that was a very big point. I think of them not being able to come up with more than one win and to, and actually I'll even give them credit for coming up with that, that one win, because if it wasn't for that parade of goal scoring from them, that would have easily been a swept series. Um, so the goaltending thing, the goal, just the headache for the coach of having to deal with who to start or, or if this is the right move, yada, yada, yada. I think that played a major part in it. And then the second part of it was, man, I hate to say it, but Luke, Luke Hughes, the Hughes brothers and everything, it was a lot of, there was a lot of, there's a lot of hype around them. I get it, especially coming from the Stahl family, a fan of the Stahl family. I totally get it. But I tell you what, Luke Hughes was completely exposed for being uh, about a month ago on that NCAA ice. And I, and I, get that that is like exciting that's a really great pr for the guy that he's able to play in a championship at the ncaa level and then you know a month later step on to um, an nhl squadron and 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 try to offer something for them um but it was just a little too little too late he was caught off the ice for a goal really badly too he he was like he had like half of or one leg in, one leg off, one leg on, and he elected to turn back around and try to catch up with the play. Um, and there was one other uh, play that he really got exposed on uh, with a goal, I thought. Um, besides that, you know, Jack Hughes was contained, I thought. Dougie Hamilton wasn't, he, they did not let him get going on that power play. Their power, their penalty kill continues to, uh, channel a lot of their momentum i think um and on top of all of that dude the third and fourth line for carolina got going and you know with all with all of that building up as far as momentum goes it's it's going to be hard to stop a team that's been here for the fifth time that's that is really the only team well at that time we still had toronto we still had edmonton um but as far as you know, standings go, Carolina was the number two seed in the entire league. So, you know, it, it was a good effort, New Jersey. I expect to see you guys, you know, moving forward. Uh, Eric Howla said it best. I think that that core, that group, is is something special. I think is is you know, as more as the Akira Schmid begins to develop, that'll be a really good goaltender to have, a solid starter to have going into the playoffs. Howell's a really good leader, I think, among that group. Um, and that's putting, you know, all of my of my bias aside. He had his problems in Carolina and everything. But I think he's a he's stepped up as a pretty big leader in there. He's got Dougie Hamilton, who's a familiar face, um, who's a really, you know, Brett Burns-esque defenseman. And so I do, and they have a great coach. I mean, I don't have to tell you twice as a Sabres fan. Um, so I expect to see them moving on. I expect to see them again. Um, but 
I also expected not to really see them in the Eastern Conference Finals. That was part of my plan in my bracket. I thought that they had what it took to to shake up a New York Rangers that were coming in off of a tough exit last year, off of a tough off se- off season for as far as captaincy goes, in my opinion, um, and and a few new faces too. Uh, Trocheck for the whole season, Kane and Tarasenko at the trade deadline. I thought that they could, you know, with their speed, they could they could handle that New York team, but. When it came to to Carolina with Rod Brendamore at the helm, I expected those guys to get down to brass tacks and and you know not even really sneeze coming over or walking over New Jersey kind of thing. So that's yep. uh and that's it. That's my take. <laughs> no, great, uh, a lot of great points. Um, and I, I think you're right. I, I think it was the fact that they didn't have a lot of experience. Uh, the last time that they were in the playoffs, not a lot of anybody on this team was on that Devils team. So the experience wasn't there. Uh, and like you said, this is a relatively young team. You know, this this is a young team that just hasn't had the time to, to be in the playoffs and, and really hasn't had the time to, to build a lot of chemistry. They made a lot of moves at the trade deadline to get better. Um, and it, it, it kind of caught up with them. Uh, you mentioned the goaltending situation. So Schmidt was four and one, uh, I believe, in the first round with a uh, with a 951 save percentage, just incredible. But in this round, wow. but in this round, he was zero and three with an 874. Uh, so clear to see that he was he was uh, figured out, um, you know. And and I think that this was something that you could predict because. In the games that the Rangers lost, they didn't get a lot of shots on Schmidt, you know, and right. he wasn't really tested by them all that much. But Carolina is a team that you mentioned their second, third line, even their fourth line Exports. can they export they, they, shots on goal. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah, that's their main export is is just shots on goal. And I'm trying to remember who off the top of my head whose line was killer. Um, Foss was a big killer for them. He, they just the stall line. It, yeah, that stall line was just incredible for them. Um, and Martinuk is, I think I said it in the group chat, uh, more like Jordan McDavid nuke. Yeah. I mean, where did that guy's offensive production come from? He got, he this, actually got put on waivers. I was just going to say, yeah, that guy <laughs> was put on waivers earlier and, and, you know, what a move by the Carolina Hurricanes. That Martinook has stuck around and been around since 2019, I want to say. So yeah. he's been he's been with that core for a while. He's been with this team for a while. And, yep. you know, being able to react to getting waived, I'm sure it wasn't the best. I'm sure he probably felt like, damn, I'm really that bad. And it kind of just maybe it set a fire within him to just be like, I'm going to be better. You know, I'm going to I'm going to show them why they shouldn't put me on waivers. I'm going to show them why I, I need to stay yeah. on a in this roster as a starter. And he did that. Not only did he do that for the rest of the season, but into the postseason, which arguably is the best time to be good, you know, and and this is a, this is a separate discussion. Doesn't really talk about either of these teams, but you know, we always look at, you know, last 10 games going into the playoffs, you know, before the first round starts, this team's eight was eight and two in their last 10. This team was three and four and uh, three in their last 10. And it doesn't really matter what team plays well going into. It just matters. You got to be hot at the right time. 
Yep. And the right time is the playoffs. And Florida has proved that. Um, you know, you guys have proved it because, like, I think we even mentioned it way back when we talked about the first round. You guys were one of the coldest teams heading into the playoffs. You know, you guys yeah. have been struggling down the stretch. We and, were rickety. Yeah, it was. It, it kind of looked like, boy, this Canes team, if they're not steady on their feet, they can they can get upset. But, you know, again, you guys just got hot at the right time. Uh, I, I also wanted to talk about more about the players who just weren't really producing and and to be honest, this this is this even went into uh, the the Rangers series. You know, you were seeing these problems in the Rangers series, but they were able to overcome the Rangers. But you knew it was going to be a problem in the Carolina series. So he sure didn't have a goal in that first round series. He played seven games, zero goals, five assists. So he had five points. Um, Pilat only had two in the first round. Uh, Bratt only had one, but that was an empty netter in game seven. I want to say. So took him seven games to score a goal. And lo and behold, Bratt uh, followed up that series with just two assists in the five games. Uh, I mentioned Plot. Plot only had one goal, two points in that series against the uh, Canes. Uh, Jack Hughes was the standout for not only the first round against the I, Rangers, but also the second. He had three goals, I'll three assists for six points. I'll throw out there, too. Well, Palmieri's uh, an Islander. He's no longer nah, a I thought he was a devil. Mm-mm. I thought he was, oh, he was a devil previously. So he went from the devils to the Islanders. I thought it was the other way. I, I think when they traded away Henrique, they packaged him with Henrique to go to the ducks. And then from the ducks, he went to the Islanders. But, you know, besides when he wasn't with the devils, Hala, you, are you thinking about Hala? Maybe? Oh, you're right. No. Yeah, you're right. I'm just mixing the two series together. I was, I tell you what it was. I was, <laughs> what I was going to say is he, I probably said it about the Rangers series is that he was annoying me, annoying the hell out of me during that series or the Islanders series. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an indication to me that he was, you know, he, he's being that Brad Marchand and he was putting mm-hmm. points up and he was getting under your skin in that series. But, um, but you know what? It's not a bad comparison. That's the kind of stuff that should be coming from Howla. And he and he wasn't doing all he wasn't no. getting in the guys' heads. No. I, I thought that the Canes played a very disciplined game. Um eh. there was some bad there was some bad stuff. Cockney and he got a little out of control a couple times. But um but he, he was that. another player. He was another player that kind of killed the Devils that, you know, you typically just don't expect from him. Uh, I think he had two goals in that series. And some were – no, I think he may have had three because he had, I think, two in one game. I think he had a two-goal game, yeah. I was Yeah, I, was, I know he had a two-goal game. I can't remember which one. May have been game two. He, but he was he – his goals that he scored – with a goal in game five, but it was – it was actually Slavin's. They gave it to Kakaniemi, and then they changed it later to Slavin. That might yeah. have been it. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, Hala, uh, in the first round, he was very pivotal and was a big reason why the Devils were able to overcome the Rangers. Four goals, two assists for six points, but next round he had all zeros. And then I just wanted to mention Hamilton. Uh, zero goals against his former team, one assist in the five games. He had three points in the last series, you know, so he just, their big name players just weren't producing outside of Jack Hughes. And it's, it's a lot of pressure to put on a a guy who just, 
hasn't had that experience, hasn't had playoff experience, you know, and is just coming off of one of his best uh, performances in his career. You know, he, he's establishing himself, but he's not yet established. And it's it was it's hard for a player who's not yet established to put the whole team on his back to to persevere and to to get through the uh, the, the thick of it with a team. Um, but outside of that, I uh, just wanted to give you some quick facts about the Devils. This was the most uh, points they've had in team history. Their previous best was in 2000 to 2001 when they had 111. So they beat that record by one. Uh, and it was their first 100-point season since they went to the Stanley Cup in 2012. And it, it, there's a lot of positive things to take away from the Devils. I know Devils fans are probably a little bit upset to the fact that they got eliminated so quickly by the Carolina Hurricanes. But at the same time, you know, this team is, I think, on the, an up-and-coming team, sort of similar to the L.A. Kings, that are just building for the future. And are because, like we said, they got a very young team. Uh, you did mention Luke Hughes. I do want to just quickly say that he he definitely was exposed in that series. Um, but again, he's he's a relatively young guy. I'm pretty sure he's 20 years old. So it's not easy for these players to go from you know a D1 program to the NHL. Not only the NHL, but their debuts in the playoffs. It's it, so it's a bit difficult. But it's just showing how young. And, and how, how much potential these players have. Um, so if you're a Devils fan, you should be relatively excited. Um, I think you mentioned it, Andy. You're, you're definitely going to be seeing this team again. I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, they, they probably don't follow up the season with what they had this past season, now that it's over. But they're, they're going to be probably a second or third team in that Metro division uh, to consistently make the playoffs for, I'd say, gosh, the next five years. Uh, and who knows what they do? Uh, just some names they have on the UFA block: Tatar, Miles Wood, Eric Halla, Damian Severson, Ryan Graves. And then not going to go through all their RFAs, but two standout ones are Meyer and Brat. Those are two guys. You know, with, with the with the series that Brat was having in Meyer. the playoffs, he had Meyer is the guy that I was thinking of. He <laughs> okay. was having. The similar, the thing that I mentioned about Paul Mary, that was yes. what Tyler Meyer was doing. That's who I was thinking of. Thank you. Timo Meyer. Timo. Timo Meyer. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But those are just some standout RFAs they have. Uh, Meyer is going to have a $10 million qualifying offer. So that's up to the Devils to decide if they want to match that qualifying offer, uh, possibly trade him and get some draft picks. That's up to them. Uh, then I'll just finish it off with they have $34,282,500 in cap space for next season. So, again, because a lot of these players are young, some of them are still on entry-level contracts. And also, they just got some really good um, cap hits. Like Hughes only makes $8 million. He sure makes $7.25. Plot with six. Hamilton's the most at $9 million, But, you know, you, you got a lot of cap space to either sign those UFAs we mentioned uh, possibly qualify Meyer, you know, choose what you want to do with Brat and Blackwood. But, you know, it's going to be an interesting offseason for the, for the New Jersey Devils. I think you can just kind of run it back. I think, you know, they, they got that playoff experience under their belt, quote unquote. Um, and you just look look for them to, to come back next season and see what they have. I don't know if you have anything else to say here, Ann. Nah, I think that was pretty pretty good summary. All right. Yeah. 
Yep. So we will move on to now Florida and Toronto. And I got to be honest with you, Ann, this this wasn't too surprising to me. Um, yeah. The, the Maple Leafs just aren't a team that match up well to a grunt team. You know, it's it's been a struggle for them the last seven seasons that they've kind of been getting it done with this uh, this core. It, it's just this core doesn't do well when they're getting hit, when they're getting pushed off the puck, when they're forechecked yeah. as hard. It's and it showed badly in this series because I was looking and reading into some stats. The Toronto Maple Leafs expected goals. Um, I forgot which game it was or which game it was. It may have been like two or three. Their expected goals for just the first period in, in one of those games was around like 2.25. And the Panthers expected goals was 0.25. And after the first period, it was 2 nothing Florida. So I think that was game five. Yeah, that was the one that went to overtime and they won. So, yeah. So that was the expected goals of the first period of game five. You know, Toronto was expected to have two while the Florida Panthers weren't even expected to have any. But it was completely reversed. And it was 2 nothing Florida after one. And, yes, Florida managed – or not Florida. Yes, Toronto managed to tie it. They brought it to overtime. But they eventually lost. Um, this was also another series, and I've seen plenty of Leafs fans and just plenty of people on on social media saying, oh, the ref screwed the Leafs. And I will just say I am getting so tired of that narrative. I've been hearing it for the last 10 years since I've been closely following the playoffs. I understand it's easy to say that when you're not when your team's not in the playoffs and they're not losing these games. And but it this narrative really, really shows up. Once your team is eliminated, you know, you're not necessarily saying these things as your series is going on, you know, but when you get eliminated, oh, the ref screwed us in game three with that non-high stick call. Oh, they screwed us in this game just now by not calling the interference or whatever. And and the thing that uh, in, in the context of this game five was uh, not only that that uh, Morgan Riley goal that didn't count because there wasn't conclusive evidence that the puck crossed the line, but it was the game winning goal of Nick cousins. Racco Gudis is holding Kelly yarn stick. Who's the player kind of on his knees trying to block the shot from cousins. And it, it goes off of wool and into the net and they win it. And it's just like your team was down three, nothing in this series. And you mustered up one win on the road. Congratulations, you know, show some fight. You finally did. But in game five, you want to tell me that the refs were the reason why you lost the series. You're down three, one in the series at on home ice. Nonetheless, you know, don't give me the excuse that, Oh, the refs screwed us by, by not calling Morgan, Morgan Riley's goal, which would have made it two two. Um, and then you speculate what would have happened. You know, do, does Toronto get that third goal or the next goal that they eventually got? I, I just I can't stand it anymore. In every game I watch, it's almost a guarantee that there's at least one or two uh, refuse suck chants. It's almost as if the Jumbotron is, you know, the Jumbotron always has those chant, make noise. It's almost like at this point, you would assume that the, the Jumbotron is just saying refs, you suck with how often these chants are. And, you know, I'm not trying to defend the refs. Uh, I'm I've we've certainly been critical on this podcast of the refereeing and the officiating of the last few years. 
And not only is this a problem in the NHL, this is extrapolated to all the other major leagues, the NBA, MLB, and the NFL. You know, and, and I personally think it's more of a, mic, a microcosm of allowing, you know, having a lesser um, or being less strict with, with sports gambling. You know, I'm not saying there's a correlation of, you know, sports gambling with officiating, but I, I, I we necessarily weren't seeing these problems 10 years ago. But once sports gambling got a little bit more popular and now you're at a point where pretty much almost every U.S. state and almost every Can- Canadian province is allowed for some sort of sports gambling officiating has just deteriorated but that's just me we gotta we gotta get joe rogan on the cast for this episode we're going down a conspiracy hole yeah <laughs> but yeah uh, that... i will i will say this about the refing because it is something that has impacted our series in the past and i have complained about it um and i from what i can recall at least i hope this is how i went with it was I remember for us, it was I was specifically upset with all the calling that was going down between us and Tampa because it wasn't it wasn't to me, it wasn't just like um, a missed call or or erroneous call in, say, a Dallas Seattle series. To me, it was more like an erroneous call for in favor of Edmonton, which, which, as we all know, the most lethal power play in the NHL is almost a certainty. I'm um, exactly. Yeah. So I, and here's the other thing too, is that in the past, this season is different. Finally, I will give this season the, the differentiator, but in the past, the, the refing, the poor refing has carried beyond the first round this season at least so far in my opinion i have not felt it carry on into the second round i am much more satisfied with the play unfolding no matter who's in favor of the call whether it's my team the other team or it's a a neutral game that i'm watching I am so much more content with the amount of times reps are deciding not to put their hands up for either side. It's to me, that's the way to go. It's only going to be delay a game pucks over the pucks over the glass. I want to see offsetting stuff. High sticking, you know, guys. Yeah. High sticking is pretty black and white. Um, But the hooks are gone. Most of the hooks are gone. In fact, a lot of the slashes are gone. Look at the kind of slashes that people are getting away with these days. Um, and cross-checking. That's not getting called, you know? Right. And boarding. Yeah, boarding's one that I'll, I'll take. I'll, I'll enjoy seeing a boarding call because that's a very dangerous type of play. Um, but beyond that, I don't, I don't mind not seeing the whistle, too. I don't mind not seeing my team have to go on a power play only to not see my team have to not go on a penalty kill later in the game. You know, that's when you as a hockey fan should find some, uh, some not contentness, but some solace in it. When you notice, Oh, like in, you know, say in the very first five minutes, you, Oh, how's that not a call? How, how are they not going to put that guy in the net or in the box? Well, in the third period, when there's two and a half minutes left and your your team is up by one and that call doesn't go against your team, you know, 
take, you know, take those checks and balances into account because this specific round, I'm seeing that a lot. I'm, I'm seeing the conscious decision from the refs not to put anybody in the box. And for me, that is the playoff hockey that I want to watch. I want to, I want to watch a brand of hockey where the players are policing themselves, where nobody is really getting an unfair advantage due to the number of power plays they amass at any given point of the game and the series. Um, and on top of that, to me, it's just a much more thrilling game because you'll see the, the, the battles in the corner for the puck. You'll see the guys after the play has left that corner. You see a few guys give each other a couple punches and say, hey, buddy, I, heard, I felt that earlier at the start of this pileup. Don't think you got away with it kind of thing. And then you obviously see the ref come in and shake his hand and wave at the guys and, you know, they separate. So to me, you know, I'm, I'm a lot happier with the refing this season uh, in the postseason, specifically past the first round. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want to get too f- more into the refereeing. We, we kind of gave our opinions there. We, yeah, we're here to talk more about, about the teams. No, you're fine. I mean, I, I put it out there. So we did talk about it, you know, um, mm. but, uh, and just to wrap up that refereeing, we want to see more game sevens. Or, sorry. Okay. Sorry. We, we, well, yes, we do want to see more game sevens, but I mean, we want to see the officiating that we saw in game seven last night where only two penalties were called and each team had a power play. That's the, that's the kind of officiating we want to see. It, it just allows for the players to play the flow of game to be better, et cetera. And it's just a better brand of hockey. Like you said, to watch rather than stop, call this stop. Okay. We got to call that two minutes go by, you know, the penalties killed and two minutes later, Oh, right back in the box you go. It's, it's so or- frustrating. Or, you know, take this scenario, Nick, where it's, uh, you know, Tampa Bay gets four penalties and your team gets one or four power plays and your team gets one or Edmonton. And then it turns into, you know, the lethal power play won the game for both either team in that situation. That's not happening either. You know, that's a little bit of foreshadow, but. Right, right, right. And, and, and I think that the officiating has gotten a lot better. I totally agree. And I think going into the conference finals, you're going to see these are some teams that don't are very disciplined, Um, you know, especially Florida, especially Carolina. I think Vegas may have been the team with the least penalties called. Um, So, again, we're going to see teams that that are pretty well disciplined. So those stop and starts, those penalties, all that might not be a factor. But going into to Toronto and their breakdown of why they lost. I think the biggest story coming out of this series isn't necessarily the core four not getting it done. Cause that's again, been a common theme these last seven years, but rather Samsonov was rumored to play with an injury. And again, we don't know which one I think they labeled it a lower body injury. Um, and eventually he does end up getting fully injured when uh, one of his own players, I don't know if it was Justin Hall or Jake McCabe, I forget who crashed into him um, on an odd man rush, but he eventually goes out and Wool steps in and replaces Samsonov as their starter. And Wool was fantastic for them. Um, and he was so fantastic, you kind of question Keith's decision to not play him the whole series. Uh, and if that was the case, you know, maybe this, this, 
would have turned around and maybe instead of being down three, one, the series would have been tied to a two, or you possibly would have had a lead yourself. Um, very theoretical. But one thing that I wanted to mention and throw to you is I saw this really good take by uh, Steve Dangle on his podcast. And he said, how much of 70% of X player, but in this example, it was Samsonov is better than a hundred percent of his replacement, AKA Wolf, you know, and you can extrapolate that to any injured player. Like we saw Bergeron when he came back in game okay. five, he wasn't, he wasn't fully a hundred percent, but they threw him back in the lineup and it's almost like, but if you just kept him out and you kept Samsonov out and replaced them with a guy who's a hundred percent ready. Yeah. Maybe they don't have as much experience as say a Bergeron. Yeah. They don't have as much experience as Samsonov because Samsonov played the whole uh, season but it's not like these guys are on the bench and they've never played a game before. You know, they 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 may have been in the minors. You know, they they may have played in the NHL. You know, but right. but they. So how much of seventy percent of the current guy is better than a hundred percent of his replacement? So I wanted to pitch that to you and just get your opinion. Well, I mean, I I, I hate to be that guy, but it depends on who and who for that uh, hypothetical. But speaking strictly. On Wall and Samsonov, I'm not. I, I'm gonna say I'm not familiar enough with the two guys to to be able to make a distinction. But but here's the thing. I I will say this too. If I'm going into Game Three after being blanked two times in a row at home, and I got an injured guy, and I got a hundred percent guy. I mean, I'm treating that game and so on as we're up against it. It's a three Oh series from here on out until somebody tells us not to get on a plane, you know? Yeah. And so if you put that, if you put me into that mental state going into game three, as if I'm Sheldon Keith, I'm going to wall in game three. I'm trying to send a message in game three before we get to that actual three Oh point. Um, mm-hmm. I'm doing something to try and, you know, inject something into this group, some sort of success into this group. And to me in that situation, what do you have to lose starting wall? You're already down two Oh, and you're on the road for two games now. <laughs> so in my opinion, it's, it's more, it's, I don't necessarily see this as a, is, is a 70% is the same sonoff off at 70% better than wall at a hundred percent. I don't necessarily see it that way so much as okay. I see it as it's almost a no brainer to shove wall in there in game three. Because what's the worst that can happen? You go back to Samsonov for game four, you know? Yeah. So to give you a little bit more background, just in this series alone, and I'm pulling up the regular season stats, but just in this series alone, Wool was a 921 save percentage against Samsonov's 892. Um, and obviously you don't know that 921 save percentage until Justin or Joseph Wool has played a game. Um, so for as far as Keith knew, that guy was just 0% because he hasn't played much in the NHL. But in the season he had this past season with the Toronto Marlies, he played 21 games, had 16 wins, and posted a 927 save percentage. Um, 
So he was pretty proven in the AHL. And again, AHL much different from the NHL. It's it's a level below. Um, how much of a difference is that level? We we won't know. But uh, with Ilya Samsonov, this this uh, season he played 42 games. He had 27 wins, and his save percentage was 9.19 in the regular season. So they're relatively the same. Obviously, uh, Samsonov has gotten a lot more starts, almost doubles his starts. Uh, even though Wool played in with the Toronto Marlies, almost doubles those starts. But again, like you were saying, when you're down two nothing and and maybe you're not seeing it out of your starter, is it necessarily a bad idea to just be like, you know what, we'll go in, show us what you got, and you know just play your best. If they lose, they're down mm-hmm. three nothing, and they would have been in the same scenario mm-hmm. that they probably that they would have been with Samsonov playing game three. Exactly. Um, b- because in his games, I know Joseph Wool lost game five, but I believe um, he only gave up one goal in game four, a road game that avoided the sweep, you know, and and was the start to a miracle. Possibly, it obviously doesn't end in a miracle, um, but it was the start. You know, you needed that win, and he provided that for you. Um, and I believe he was almost – he may have been about eight or seven minutes away from a shutout, but uh, Florida gets on the board and and wipes that. But, you know, he, he played great in these starts for a guy who, again, very similar to what we were saying about, you know, Schmidt and other goalies in the past who just get, kind of get thrown in these roles – not not bad for a guy who was again just thrown in that role and and fed to the wolves uh of a very hot florida team like we were mentioning with sam bennett with with uh, uh kachuk who has has proven to be another con smythe winner i believe he's third in playoff uh points i i looked it up yesterday so and even though he didn't have a goal in the series i believe he had five or six assists so you know, it, it was a hungry Florida team that they were up against, and they were clearly outmatched. But no surprise, because this this Florida team just doesn't do well. Or sorry, this Toronto team just doesn't do well against a team that's that's hard, full of hard workers. You know, they're, they're they have no real superstar. Yes, they have Kachuk; he's a superstar. But outside of that, Carter Verhage is not being talked about as a superstar. Sam Bennett's certainly not being talked about as a superstar. Meanwhile, you look at the flip side, and Toronto's got about four of them. They got Nylander, who for is just a bargain deal for the the amount of money he's making um, and has been their consistent playoff performer uh, of of the core you have Marner who again is a phenomenal talent in the regular season but disappears in the playoffs same thing with Matthews um, Matthews had zero goals in this series Tavares had zero goals in this series Marner only had one and we've said it in the past but I'll I'll say it again. I think now you have you have to trade this core. Um, and what's so funny and and has just got to be making people go insane if you're a Toronto fan. When Kyle Dubas gave his um, season-ending press conference, he said that he wants to keep the core around. And you're you as a Toronto fan, you're probably just asking for the guy to leave. Like, and it might happen. It's possible that that Dubas does get fired. Uh, and it's possible that Keith gets fired, but if those guys stay around, I think Dubas has to make the decision of, of changing part of this core because that core four just can't do it. Um, 
And I was kind of telling all my friends, Toronto to me just seems like a team that's very, you know, task oriented isn't necessarily the best term for it, but I'll describe it as this, you know, they'll have a record setting regular season. You know, they were first in their division in the Canadian division. And yes, that was a pretty, you know, that was, that was a hand basket win for them. It was kind of fed to them, you know, so they won that division and they had high expectations, but they just fizzled out against Montreal and they blew a three to one series in that, that those playoffs in the first round. Um, so I feel like this team, once they achieve something and they feel they accomplished something, they, their expectations just go down. You know, they, they can, they, they won their division. Okay. We don't need to show up in the playoffs. Oh, we beat Tampa finally, or we finally just made it past the first round. We're all done. You know, our demons are exercised. And when you look at past teams, specifically the Washington Capitals, they stick out. Once they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins and finally exercise that demon, what did they end up doing? They went all the way to the cup and they won it. And I'm not saying that once Toronto made it out of the first round, they were going to win the cup. But you kind of had to expect like, okay, they're going to have some energy going to this into the second round, knowing that this has been a big struggle for them. And I just feel we didn't see that. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the Dubas comments because I saw those, but I was uh, I forgot what I was doing. I just didn't I couldn't and didn't have my um, sound on. So I, I didn't hear anything he said, but man, I mean, you've mentioned it before, but uh, how many times are we going to do the same thing ex- and expect something new from it? I mean, are we going to get these guys life coaches next? Because I don't know, the player coach isn't really doing anything for them. The the coach who's coaching the players gets them through the regular season and then we we, the fans, see nothing but excitement and hilarity from seeing them knocked out, where the fans of Toronto see nothing but, ironically, what the 76ers have been dealing with. Um, I think the 76ers have been knocked out before the Eastern Conference Finals, like six of the last seven or seven of the last nine, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um Boy, does it does it give me Toronto vibes? I mean, yeah, they did get through that first round finally, but you got steamrolled by a Florida Panthers team that squeaked into the playoffs yep. right after that. Yeah. So I don't know, dude. I, I don't know what what it's gonna be for them. I don't know what it's gonna take. I I I think I'm very much ready to move on from the core four. I'm very much ready to blow that core four up and mm-hmm. ship somebody out, get something for it while you can. Um, I just don't know who at this point because because I I mean I aside from Nylander, I think Nylander, if you're going based off of this playoff, this one right now only, Nylander is the only one showing me any type of of want to stay i didn't see enough from austin i didn't see enough from Tavares, and i didn't see enough Um, so so just quickly just to clarify you would say that that kneelander showed that he wanted to stay in maple leaf or are you saying that 
Emma, I don't know if I would say it that way, but to me, this playoff performance, Nylander deserves to stay. Okay. Nylander put forth an effort, in my opinion, that was satisfactory. That to earn was... his keep. Exactly, yeah. Okay. To earn gotcha. his stripes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I've seen, I mean, of course, fans, as soon as they lost, they went right into it. I've seen a lot of mock trades. Um, I saw one that, to me, just doesn't make sense if you're Nashville, but um, the Toronto Maple Leafs would be sending Austin Matthews and Matthew Nice uh, to Nashville in return to get Roman Yossi and UC Soros. I have no idea why Nashville would make that trade because uh, Soros has <laughs> since since Rene retired, he's been the go-to. They don't really they have David Riddick backing him up, and uh, Big Save Dave doesn't make a lot of big saves, so I don't think you're trading Soros. Um, I've heard that. There are like five teams he's kind of rumored to go to. Uh, I want to say L.A. is one of them. Obviously, Arizona is one of them. But, you know, Matthews isn't going to want to play in front of 4,000 fans. So that's out of the picture, in my opinion. Um, and Nashville was another one, and there was a couple of others. But it's it's going to be hard to move these people if you're Kyle Dubas. I, I don't know who of the four you leave. I don't even know the number. You know, there's four guys. Do you move two of them? Do you move one of them? But I, I'd right. have to say that this this has to be the year that they move one of those guys. It has to be. However, the problem is when you look at their contracts on Cap Friendly, um, starting January 1st this year, I'm pretty sure Matthews, Marner, and Tavares all have some form of a no-movement clause of a, like, seven-team no-trade, five-team no-trade, you know, they their their clauses for their trades are are in effect this year on January first. They're sorry, July first. So oh, okay. you want you want to talk about, uh, you know, even just based on value, like oh, Matthews did this in the regular season, but he's kaput in the the playoffs. So just based on that alone, it's going to be hard to move him. But now you have the condition of a trade clause of a no movement clause that's going to barrier i mean all your leverage is gone all your leverage is gone you know you could say oh matthews we're going to be hearing um we're going to be taking offers on him let's say the ducks call and they're like yeah we'd really like matthews you know we'd be sending this player that player back and then you look down and it's like anaheim ducks one of the seven teams on his no trade clause you're like well shit you know what am i going to do now so <laughs> it, it it's i think when we had mentioned on previous podcasts, you needed to break up the core. And for me, I think we first started mentioning that, mentioning that around the CBJ bubble loss or the qualifying round loss that they had or the, the 3-1 series blown lead they had against Montreal. I want to say it was around that time that we said break up the core. And lo and behold, it would have been a lot better because by then they didn't have any of these clauses in effect. But starting J uh, July 1st, I don't know how you trade these guys, you know, and I don't think you can make trades during the playoffs. I think I know that there's some sort of form of a trade ban per se, but Kyle Dubas basically by keeping this core around and never trading them up until this point, the year that those clauses uh, kick in, he's really tied his hands behind his back and kind of just pinned himself against the wall. 
I, I don't know what you do with, with the core four. And, and if that's the case, if he doesn't move them by July 1st, they're coming back again un, until further notice. Cause I just don't think Dubas would be a GM to get a deal done based on those clauses. It, it's going to be so hard to, to do that. Um, and I don't know, man, it just mismanagement is, I guess my takeaway here. Yeah, it's it's a really sticky situation to be in. I mean, I, I'm, I'm even trying to think back. Nothing's coming to my mind right now of a similar situation. But, um, yeah, I'm glad I don't have Kyle Dubas' job because, <laughs> A, it's on the line right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he makes it, you know, if he makes it past that first obstacle, he's got a really, really uh, hefty um situation in front of them to deal with as well um and here's the other thing you're talking about how difficult it's going to be to make this trade i mean to me that sort of says multi-team involvement i Mm -hmm. oh i wouldn't be surprised if i saw a couple teams making um you know winning in a one trade situation because of the mismanagement there in uh, mm-hmm. in Toronto with the with the core four, but I don't know. I, I mean, I think at least for once, for once, and and if you're a Toronto fan, tell me if you agree or not in the comments. But for once, can we see what a coach who hangs around can do with these people? And yeah. think about moving some of the players instead, yep. even just yeah. one of the guys. Like you were nope. saying, even if it's just one of the core, yep, that's that's something. That's something new. That's trying something new. So yeah, it's. I completely agree with that, and I think we even mentioned in past years when these coaches don't stick around, and the same thing keeps happening. The core four is not getting it done. Look to do the opposite. Keep that coach around. Trade some of those core players and see what that coach can do. I completely agree. Me personally. I wouldn't fire Keith. I think he he is great with this this young group of guys. I think they all respect him, and I, I obviously I know that he respects them. Um, so I would like to see him stay with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I I wouldn't put all of it on him uh, because on we've known this for a while. It's been the players. Just look at their stats every time they lose a series. Matthews, Marner, there's wanted signs all across Scotiabank Arena of where he is, you know, he's missing MIA. Where is he? Not wanted signs. I meant to say missing, not wanted, but yeah. I mean, see what you could do. You you don't have a lot of cap space Um, to your point. There's definitely going to have to be a three team trade because they're going to have to maintain some sort of salary on these players. Um, Maybe 25% in some cases, maybe 50 with how much these guys make. So it's going to be difficult. They only have about seven point. They have a little north of $7.4 million of cap space, but their UFA list is abundant. They have just big names. They have Bunting, O'Reilly, Camp, Achari, Aston Reese, Kerfoot, Hall, uh, Shen, Gustafson, Cal, uh, Caligran, one of their, their goalies. And then their RFA is Samsonov. So it's $7 million obviously isn't going to bring back most of those guys um and and qualifying samson off what's that number going to look like you know is it going to be 4 million 4.5 we don't know but 
you got to get rid of these core fours because they're taking up so much space. And I mean, can you imagine the O'Reilly trade where you just gave up a first to get that guy only for him to be a rental and leave because you just didn't have the cap space to, to resign him. Bunting, I bet you is gone. There's no way that they have the money to resign that guy. It's, it's a good day to not be Kyle Dubas because that's quite a job he has ahead of him. And again, like you said, who even knows if he has that job, he currently isn't under contract. He, uh, this was his last year as the GM and they haven't re-signed him. So who knows, but whoever replaces him, if he is replaced, they have a lot of work to do, but that's the Toronto Maple Leafs for you. Um, if you have anything else on to top say, of that, yeah, on top of that, man, what a performance by Florida as well. Uh, yeah. I, I, we mentioned it, but Sergei Bobrovsky, man, oh man, looking like uh, looking like he never missed a step from from knocking Tampa out of that first round back in two thousand. Uh, 19. 19 there yeah, yeah. so yeah. you know really excited to see him have that success see him look as good as he looks in net these days um top of that i love watching kachuk uh and i and i'm still you know what i mean i still enjoy watching florida i might not enjoy them as much when i watch them play the canes um but they play pff, canes better get ready because Florida plays a really heavy game. That that dude, that uh, Racco Gudis man, he was throwing that weight around, and it's all muscle. <laughs> so yeah, it's gonna yeah. be a, it's gonna, like you said. I think you said it in the group chat. It's gonna be a bloodbath in that Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, it certainly is. And and hey, uh, Matthews. Hey, Tavares. Hey, Marner. You just got beat by a guy that's making as much money as you guys are. And it's it it's sort of similar where it's not as justified. But you know what? At least he's playing like a $10 million goalie. At least he's he's performing as such, you know, giving his team the best opportunity to do so. Zero goals from Matthew and Tavares. You're not you, you don't you're not deserving the big money you're making. You know, it's it is what it is. Preach. But yeah, that that's 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 the way that. Those guys need to play, and they just simply don't. So, you know, off with Toronto. I'm all – I my bandwagon's in Florida, and I've been bandwagoning them for a while now. Um, I, I don't know if they win the Carolina series, but I just know it's going to be very exciting hockey to watch, and I can't wait. Yeah. Unfortunately, these games, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals Thursday and the Western Conference Finals Friday. So we got a long, long yeah. wait. but. Um, speaking of the Western Conference, we'll go into the Edmonton Oilers Vegas series. And you know what? Do we have the same discussion we do with the Edmonton Oilers that we just did with Toronto? I'm not saying you trade Drysidle or McDavid because those guys aren't performing. They certainly performed. I mean, hell, it looked like uh, Drysidle was going to beat the playoff record for uh, goals in a playoff. But Maybe those guys are starting to feel like I'm not going to get it done here in Edmonton. You know, they just can't do it here in Edmonton. So do I go elsewhere or do I stay here and, and, you know, trust the process, trust that we can get it done in the McDavid era. They've gone as far as the conference finals, but that conference finals, they went to, they got swept by Colorado who then went on to win the cup. Now they play against 
the the Vegas Golden Knights, who that team, man, I, you know, I got to be honest. I was saying that they were a paper tiger with how with the names they had and the and just the the regular season they had. I have completely uh, swallowed my words. Uh, you know, this team is fantastic. You know, and it's it's led by guys like Stone. It's led by guys like Eichel. And I'm happy to see Eichel. You know, I'll, I'll say it here. And, you know, when, when I discuss, thing, discuss this with Sabres fans, you know, I get a lot of hate for it. But I do not blame Eichel for leaving Buffalo, especially with the way that that situation with his neck surgery went. They weren't going to allow him to get it uh, because it just was a surgery that no professional athlete had gotten previously. And he left to a team that was willing to to allow him to get that surgery. And look at what he did. You know, it was this was a, a big, you know, we're big fans of the 2015 draft. This was number one versus number two, man. This was, if you were a big fan of that 2015 draft, this was a series to watch because McDavid and Eichel were on the stage for the first time ever since being in the league. And, uh, you know, Eichel performed tremendously. Marshall Soap picked it up when he really needed to. He's kind of been quiet. Riley Smith, again, another guy who's been quiet had picked it up in that Vegas series and they, they sort of found themselves. Uh, and, and that was a big reason why they were eventually able to knock off the Edmonton Oilers. But also we looked at the flip side and I sat, I text messaged a I text, I texted Andy before uh, game six. And I said, look for Vegas to not take any penalties. Look for them to, to keep it five on five, keep it a very disciplined game and force Edmonton to play five on five. They did exactly that, and look how the, the score ended up. What was that, a 5-2 final or something like that? You know? Yeah, you In fact, not only, but their first two shots Edmonton had were, were goals. And, I, and both of them were even strength. So it was, it, you know, they were, they were forced to play five on five, and right from the beginning it looked good. It looked like, okay, you know, uh, two, five, two very quick five on five goals. They get on the power play. This game's over, but nope. Vegas kept it the way, kept it five on five, and they they completely smothered the Oilers in that game. And also, you know, I'll say it really quickly. Stuart Skinner, again, with Jack Campbell, and he had a 9.57 save percentage in the games that he played. A lot of them were in relief. I don't ever think he started a game. Could be wrong. But he had a 9.57 save percentage to pair, compared to Stuart Skinner's 8.75. I don't know if 8.75 or a relatively high 800 number is just a big turn on for coaches. But they apparently like those numbers a lot more than a 9.21 or a 9.57, as we saw with Wool and Campbell, respectively. I, 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 a lot of people criticize Jay Woodcroft for putting Stuart Skinner as a starter for game six. And it kind of showed maybe he wasn't the guy. You know, he wasn't. Uh, I think he ended up getting pulled in that game. Uh, and I, I could be wrong about that, but I think he got pulled and Campbell was in and he made four of four saves. And he, quote unquote, posted a shutout. But. You know, I I think it's just a lot of what we're seeing in the playoffs are coaches just being out coached. You know, Lindy Ruff sort of out coached. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm completely drawing a blank. 
Oh, you got to help me out here. Gallant. You know, Gallant. Lindy Ruff. Yeah. Gallant was outcoached by Lindy Ruff, but then Bre- uh, Brenda Moore outcoached uh, Ruff, um, especially with his matchups. Uh, out in the West, we just saw uh, DeBoer outcoach um, Woodcroft. And, you know, it's just. I don't know if it's lack of, of experience. I don't know if it's how young these guys are or how little they've been in the playoffs, but man, this, this, this Edmonton Oilers team really seemed to rely too much on that power play running at a 46.1 percentage. That's, that's bonkers. That's like double the average, almost two and a half times the average uh, power play percentage, but that's all this Edmonton Oilers team. They were a glorified New York Rangers. I said, the New York Rangers only score in the power play. And when the Devils kept it five on five, they were the better team. And it showed in the in the three straight wins they had and the eventual series win that they had. But the Edmonton Oilers, on the other hand, was just a better version of that Rangers team who were able to just capitalize on power plays. A more, a more personified one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this whole playoffs in round two, uh, six games against the Vegas Golden Knights, McDavid had five goals, but three of them were on the power play. So we only had two in the whole series. And like I said, that the one he scored in game six, it was game six. That was his second of the series. And it was in the last game he played, you know, dry six goals in this series, three on the power play Bouchard, two goals in this series. And guess what? Both of them are on the power play. You know, the, when these guys don't score power play goals, when they're not producing on the power play, they do not win. And it showed. And you got to give credit to to not only the Vegas Golden Knights, but you really got to give credit to Aiden Hill, who, again, was just one of very many goalies that Vegas used throughout the, the regular season, but was the coldest goalie coming into the playoffs, who was not only Brassois' backup, Quick even got some reps in more so than than Aiden Hill did when uh, they acquired Quick from the Columbus Blue Jackets. So you got to give him a lot of credit. He he let those first two shots in, but after that he was a brick wall, stood on his head. And when he came into relief after Bruce uh, got injured, I want to say in Game Five, very stellar. Um, and I was actually watching Game Six with uh, our dad. And he was he was just thoroughly impressed with Aiden Hill. You know, he he was a little bit skeptical, obviously, because he let in two of those quick goals. But after that, he just stood on his head. And, you know, my dad was saying how how great he was positionally and how great he was just at simply seeming like it was just a calm for him to make a save and how easy it was. And and it showed. And I, I was very impressed with with how he played, because I thought that that was going to be a team or I'm sorry. I thought that was going to be a goalie that McDavid, Dreisaitl, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, all those guys were going to be able to expose just simply with how little he had played. Um, is he a smaller goaltender, by the way? I will look that up for you if you want to keep going. Yeah, I... Um... Well, I mean, I, I got to say, I think Edmonton's problem is is defense. I just don't think that they oh. have a defensive core. It, it's a defensive core is what drives your five on five prowess. 
It holds it together in your defensive zone when you're five on five and a team is laying into you, especially in that second period, you know, the one where a team who's on offense can get a quick line change if they're holding you down long enough in your defensive zone, which can compound the problems that go on down there. On top of that, when you move into the offensive zone, that defensive core can really drive the offense and you can really channel a lot of, of opportunity, offensive opportunity through those two guys at the point. Um, Tampa over the last four years has been a great example of that. Um, you know, when we, when you, when a team gets set up in the offense and you, in those D can move it back and forth from point to point, it's one simple pass, but, because of the way a circle works and, and, you know, a radius that's traveling at the edge of the radius is traveling far faster than the point closer to the center. So when that pass is made, watch all the players, watch the goalie, look how much movement you get out of, out of everybody, whether it's their head turning or their entire body moving. Um, So for me, it starts, stops and ends with the defensive core I want to I want to see something in the offseason, if not with McDavid and Dreisaitl or any of the other offensive players like you were mentioning. I want to see them sort of bulk up on the on the on the blue line there. They did it with Ekblad and Ekblad did begin to contribute stuff in that Vegas series after ironically after you called him out. Nick. Yeah, um, Ekholm. Yeah, Ekholm. Thank you. But. Ekholm is not going to do it by himself. Just like McDavid no. isn't going to be able to do it by himself. Ekholm is not going to be able to do it all by himself with the blue line. And so for me, I want to see that investment on the blue line. They've had some decent goalies come through in the past. They had the two best offensive players in the league, almost <laughs> bar none, especially because they're paired together and they can fuel off of each other. Um, I want to see something happen with that D. Uh, I want to see Edmonton be able to play that defensive game. I want to see Edmonton be able to win a game two to one, uh, three to one. But <laughs> right now, it, it doesn't look like it's gonna it's gonna happen. It, they, I think they ran into a Vegas team that is built strong enough to be able to push through that offensive push that Edmonton gives you. Um, so again, it's going to come down to the D for me. I, I, I want to see, I want to see something change there. And if that happens, I could easily see Edmonton walking into the finals uh, moving forward. I I would also like to see them improve goaltending because Stuart Skinner is not the guy, um, and people have their gripes with Campbell because he makes a lot of money. But with what we saw with Campbell, you know, he was serviceable with a 957 sure they were in relief and yes he didn't start but just what we said about toronto what did you have to lose with campbell being in that you know he ended up having the better um uh save percentage and let's say he played three games instead of the two he came in relief for i bet you and i would hit the over on this i bet you he would nail the over on Stuart Skinner overall 875 in this series. I mean, if he doesn't, then, then you know what? Okay, you were wrong, but you had nothing to lose. I, I doubt he would have been worse than 875 uh, going into the D. So Cody Cece on their um, on their defense 
played six games, you know, zeros everywhere, but he was a negative seven. And Nurse, who this is no surprise. I mean, if anybody watched the L.A. Kings series, most of their goals were scored when Nurse is on the ice because Nurse is so lost on the ice. I think he's arguably the worst defenseman in the league. You know, a lot of people throw shade at Justin Hole on the Toronto Maple Leafs because, again, that's a guy who, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of negatives, um, you know, and he's just not a great defender. But Nurse has to be up there positionally. He is so bad. There was one play where the Kings scored and he it was an odd man rush. So, again, they're, everybody's kind of caught um, out of position for the Oilers. But you could see, you know, the forward and his other D, they, they grab a guy. They just pick a guy who they're going to cover. And Nurse just kind of lollygags, goes right through the slot, and goes to try and help somebody in the corner and leaves, I don't know who it was, wide open. It may have been uh, one of their defensemen. I forget who. Leaves them wide open in the slot. Puck comes out, goes right to that player. They shoot and they score. And it's just like, dude, what were you doing? You know, like positionally, why are you – not in front of the net when you're the only guy who's back who isn't covering somebody, mm-hmm. you know? And again, I think Vegas just naturally was able to expose nurses, just poor defensive play. And this guy, keep in mind is making nine and a quarter million dollars until 2030. Really? He is making a nine. Was remember he... the year. Remember this was the year. The I defenseman. was just about to ask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was Seth, about to ask if he was involved in that. Yeah, he was Seth Jones. It was Hamilton. It was him. These guys were paid big money, you know, because they were they were point getters. But defensively, they're all liabilities. And again, Nurse just, gosh, there were so many times in that Kings series, and and even in this series, being a negative six in five games played, he averaged being on the ice at least once, um, for a goal in, in these this series. And then he also just he he got suspended that one game because he instigated a fight in the last five minutes of a game, which apparently is a suspension. It's an automatic suspension. I didn't even know that. Never even heard of that. Um, but yeah, that fight against I believe it was yeah. Hague. It was it was an automatic suspension. So he got that. I, I'm not impressed with their defense. Um, Ekholm was a shining star for them on defense. Um, you know he he did end up scoring. I don't know if it was the game winner in game five, but he ended up scoring, I believe, making it three nothing. Um, but I'd have to agree with you that this team needs to bolster their defense. Um, and, you know, I don't know how long McDavid and Dreisaitl will stick around. Um, Dreisaitl in his press conference did mention that, you know, this this felt like a wasted year, especially with how good they were in the regular season. Obviously, how phenomenal they were in the playoffs. Uh, like I mentioned Dreisaitl was on pace to break the playoff record if he just moved on and and played, you know, what eventually would be Dallas. But they're bounced in the second round. And, and, you know, that that sort of narrative has to be there of, do these guys stick around? You know, does one of them say, I want to go? Especially if, to our point, they don't fix defense in the offseason. They kind of run it back with the same team. I just don't see that being a successful team as we saw uh, this round. And again, the only reason why they beat the Kings in that first round is because a, the Kings were one of the worst penalty killing teams in the playoffs and B 
they got so many power plays, you know, and they scored and converted mostly on the power play. Um, the one game that the the three nothing comeback was from when they were down three nothing after the first, all of their three goals the next period and the second were on a power play. You know, so this wasn't like a team that got back into it because, oh, they played a really good five on five game. No, they got back into it because they were up a man. And, you know, they have McDavid and Dreisaitl to to use. So we'll see what Edmonton does in the postseason. Or sorry, in the offseason. A bit of an unfortunate exit here for that team, just especially with how phenomenal McDavid and Dreisaitl are. They are, you know, they they, they might not need to right be tested on. for they might not need to be tested for steroids, but I think they need to be tested to for some sort of advanced AI. You know, I personally don't think McDavid's a, a human. <laughs> when this guy was getting interviewed the other night, he couldn't even <laughs> stare at the screen straight. He was like, he just kept like looking around, blinking, you know, and just he couldn't keep his head straight uh, on the camera. Uh, so we and he, again, zero personality. I've never seen a human with that little personality. Uh, especially when he's an athlete, you know, LeBron has a, has a, a personality. Um, a judge has a personality for baseball. Shohei Otani has, has personality. This guy, you'd be like, was this just, just some random dude they picked up in an engineering class and just said, Hey, you're the best. You're yeah. just a really, you're just a really good <laughs> hockey player. Uh, so forget your engineering degree and come play in the NHL. I, that's how I, that's how it almost feels, you know, but you know, we'll see what they do in the offseason. Their UFAs aren't aren't big, aren't too much of a problem. They have uh, Derek Ryan, Matthias Janmark, Shore, Bukestad, Clefbaum, and Smith. And then for their RAs, they have uh, McLeod, Costin, and Bouchard. Costin had a pretty good uh, postseason for them, getting a lot of depth scoring. Uh, and then their cap space is just under six million at five point nine seven million. So. Again, we'll see what they can do, see who they re-sign for their UFAs, see who they re-sign as RFAs, what moves do they make to open up cap space in order to sign some of these guys. Um, I, I think you got to bring Bukestad back. He he really looked good for them uh, and performed pretty well, uh, not only in the face-offs, but just in general. I was I was impressed with Bukestad. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Oilers do and – you know, as as long as you have McDavid and Drysaddle, you're going to make the playoffs. But uh, I think the question is how how long do you have these guys? You know, when when their mm-hmm. contracts end, because McDavid's ends in 2025 and Drysaddle's the same year. They both end that that year. Do yeah. they decide to stick around? You know, do they do they even want to stick around? We'll see. We shall see. But without further ado, we'll get into the last. Uh, series here that That's ended just leave. last night and it is the Seattle Kraken against the Dallas Stars and you know I I am thoroughly impressed with this Seattle team um not only just because of their first round that they had against Colorado but when we had mentioned and, and you specifically Andy said that you saw Dallas as a central uh team powerhouse a team that's going to take over that central uh division they ended up going seven games with, with, with uh, the stars. And I was expecting the stars, you know, we did mention, and I mentioned it earlier on this podcast that we knew this series was going the distance. We've certainly did, but I think the Dallas had the potential to end that series earlier 
if Ottinger showed up and just continued to perform the way he has in the playoffs, but they exposed him pretty well in this series and going forward, I got to admit my confidence in, in Jake Ottinger is a little shaky. I'm a little, little bit worried. You know, Vegas is a team that's high scoring. We saw it in the Edmonton Oilers series that they can be high scoring and they can kind of pick on goalies pretty well. I, I would like to see how Ottinger rebounds after this series against the Seattle Kraken um, because I believe in a couple of games, he gave up seven goals. And again, he had a great rebound in, in game seven. And if you actually look at his stats after a loss, he's like a Vasilevsky clone. That guy just does not lose back-to-back games. Um, so it's great to see that from him. Um, you can kind of tell that his mental game is strong in that sense to be able to give up so many goals and come back the next game and win all, you know, credit to him. But uh, the last thing I'll say is the, the Seattle team was, was the best at just being able to score at will, you know, sure. Eberle was their leader score leading scorer. And yes, they were without McCann, their top score in the regular season, but guys like Benier, guy, uh, Beniers, guys like Gord, guys like Schwartz, um, uh, who, Bjorkstrand, all these guys stepped up in the absence of McCann and just in the absence of having a superstar and were able to just score by committee. That seven, I think it was a 7-2 or 7-3 when they have, they were, all seven scores were, uh, you know, all, all seven of them were different. It was, Nobody had two, nobody had a hat check. It was all seven different individuals. And that's impressive, you know, you know, if the Kane scored seven goals, I'm thinking, okay, did Aho have a hat trick? Did Aho have two goals? Did, did um, Jordan Stahl maybe have a couple, you know, did those guys have a couple? Again, if you saw the Oilers with seven goals, you're thinking, okay, McDavid and Drysdale had to have a hat trick. So that's six. So who else scored, you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the, this team scored by committee and it was great to see, you know, and, and, and Grubauer. And I, I know that that was yeah. the last I'll mention, but Grubauer, man, I think if you're Colorado, you're kind of looking at that and going, we made a mistake. It's not to say Georgiev wasn't a good replacement. He's been great for them. But I think with Grubauer, how he played, you got to give him a lot of credit. That last night, man, gosh, it was so unfortunate to see the two goals go in with the way he was playing. Honestly, I thought it was going to be a 0-0 game heading into overtime with just how fantastic both those goalies were playing but he, he's really stepped it up in in a role that maybe he sort of lost confidence in not being protected by Colorado and sure being accepted by the Kraken but it, it had to be the in the back of his head am I as good as I used to be you know or, or can I ever get back to that status and he sure proved it in Seattle and hey I'll say this good kudos to him for eliminating his former team. You love to see it. Oh, yeah, hit it, hit it. Yeah. But sorry. I was I was uh, I thought I was muted, but um yeah, no, you you brought up good points. We did talk about scoring diversity coming from Seattle. Grubauer, I I did I want to make it a point. I I believe that series a large reason to, as to why that series went to seven games is because of Grubauer and um, 
The other thing with this team is they they block shots. They really embraced playoff hockey, and it's the first time that this uh, franchise is in the playoffs. Um, I think it's a testament to the fact that they took on Colorado and beat them. I know they were injured. I get it. And I think that's really why um, Dallas didn't quite handle them either is because I think an injured, there you go. There's your 70% Colorado is probably right there with, with a hundred percent Dallas. Um, and both those series went to seven. And I think both of those series in that seventh game were really 50, 50 who, who was going to go toward um, the big thing for Seattle was that they were down and out in game six and they, they clawed their way in to survive in game six. That was huge. I think that really is to me, that should be the focal point of, of their playoff this series, this, this year, not even for the fact that they took off the defending champions. I, I think that second round game six for them to to be resilient, to be that pest who's still lingering around, who's still who's making you guys play a seventh game, um, just to be able to move on and play in the Western Conference Finals for no other reason. Uh, Seattle's going to be a really exciting team if they end up getting a superstar of some kind. Um, if more, if somebody just steps up to be a superstar, you know that's a possibility. Who knows with them, but uh, it was a really great performance from Seattle. Uh, onto the Dallas side, it, it, it was less than exceptional. So I think there is a good amount to work on for your Western Conference. Uh, I mean, quite clearly there is. Vegas is not a Seattle team. Vegas is going to come at you now. They've been in the playoffs for a number of times, and I don't think they've really made it past round two, aside from that very first trip to the finals. So. Um, expect to see Ottinger be a, a bit better. Uh, I think it's uh, very fair of you to call him out. I don't think he was at his best. And that was another reason why Seattle was able to hang around. But, um, you know, you're playing in the Western Conference final now. It, it Not quite being your best isn't going to get you in to the next set of seven, in my opinion. So I do expect to see Ottinger button it up. Um, yeah. I think Dallas, though, Dallas is a very formidable opponent for Vegas. That's another one that's going to, you know what? All four of these teams that are left are all very big bodied, willing to throw the body around, willing to to use that speed as well to create all that momentum with, with speed and weight, that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's what I've got to say about that. Well, good thing you said big body, because I'm going to go back to Vegas and Aiden Hill. Uh, because he is six six, I forgot to mention his height as you asked earlier, but he's six six, so he's on the higher side for goaltenders specifically. Um, but yes, to go back to to Seattle and Dallas, Seattle will be back for sure. This is a very impressive team, like you said. If they get a superstar, that might push them over the edge, because with the scoring depth that they had, with all the guys that we named. Um, that that's a team that can def, definitely get it done. They they can definitely match against a Dallas team. They could probably have matched against a Vegas team as well. And maybe even the Oilers. You know, I believe Seattle was one of the better penalty killing teams in the playoffs. Um, and Dallas was one of the better power play 
teams in the playoffs, but I believe in this series, Dallas has dropped as far as their power play because of how good Seattle was. And like you said, it's, it's just a, an example of how great that team is at just adapting and, and embracing playoff hockey. Adam Larson, I believe led the league. I don't know if it was regular season or in the playoffs for block shots. So that's always great to have, you know? Um, and I believe at one point in the second period, I don't know if it was early in the second or at like right as soon as the second started, but ESPN showed that Dallas had 59 shot attempts with only about 17 or so on net, Wow. which, you know, that's obviously a mixture of not only block shots, but just so c- completely missed shots. So, you know, that it's not to say that they're blocking 40 plus um, shots, but they know how to they know how to get their sticks in the lanes, Pierre Maguire, um, and they know how to get their bodies in front of the puck. Uh, shout out Torts, you know those those are Torts. I think would love this team. Torts, you know, would love this team uh, because they don't have a superstar and they just play as a team. And they they it doesn't matter who yeah. it is, it you know. But yours is going to get yeah, in front this, of a shot. You know, they're super in a series that if Torts was coaching it, you wouldn't have anything upsetting to say in that in that post-series conference um, after game seven, in my opinion. I think you hit a really good point there. And on top of that, man, I mean, uh, what's his name? Is it Dave Hextall? Yeah, Dave Hextall. Yes. Solid coach. I mean, I heard a couple of uh, questions he was asked there on, on the bench live on the game and he had some solid responses, in my opinion. Uh, he was a buttoned-up coach. Um, I mentioned it about Montgomery and about Jay Woodcroft. When you when they pan to those guys, Woodcroft is running up and down the bench, screaming at refs or, or like pulling on guys' shoulders. He he sort of never really looks confident in what he's doing. Montgomery, similar situation, but instead of running up and down, he was just sort of standing there. And in my opinion, didn't really exude all that much confidence. But Dave Hextall was a totally different uh, character. Guy was every 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 time they panned to him, I, I I sensed he knew exactly what was going on in his head and the decisions he wanted to make moving forward with things. So I think they also have a really really good coach. I think that's something to mention as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And the funny thing was, I forgot where I heard this. It may have been spitting chicklets, um, but somebody said that Dave Hextall was going to be the coach who was going to be used as a scapegoat by Seattle in the sense that, you know, when he coached the Flyers, he was, again, a scapegoat for how bad the team was and why they were struggling. But once he left that, that team still continued to struggle so that sort of open people's eyes to be like, oh, maybe Dave Hackstall wasn't the problem. So when Ron Francis goes and hires Dave Hackstall and, you know, says you're going to be the coach, I, I believe in you. I think it showed a lot of people that that Hackstall with the right team, with the right players. Could be the coach to lead a team deep into the playoffs. And yes, the Kraken didn't make it to the to the conference finals, but in their second season. Man, like. You, you got to be happy as a Kraken fan. Last season, they had 60 points. This season, they finished with 100. They almost doubled their points. And then they moved on all the way to the second round, again, being the reigning Stanley Cup champions. That's a successful team in my yeah. eyes. Yeah. And like and like we and were saying. They were saying, one th- goal away 
from punching yeah. their ticket to Vegas, you know? Yes. And, and just to top it off, uh, this team was playing with house money. You know, I think once they beat the Colorado avalanche, everybody was like, well, there you go. There's, there's the success that, that all you needed, you know, that there was the sort of playoff win. Their sort of Stanley cup was being able to defeat them and prove, you know, not only are we here, but we are, we are proven and, and we are ready to face up against the best in this league. And they did exactly that. And they almost did it against the stars who we both said were going to be central powerhouse teams, uh, central powerhouse team uh, to, to look to take over that central division. So I, I am thoroughly impressed with the stars team. Uh, one thing that I think Brian Boucher mentioned on the broadcast was once they lost um, because they both, both their series went to seven games. Maybe it was the fact that it was, a sta- not a stamina issue, but when you know when you're going the distance the whole time, you sort of run out of the gas. So maybe that was another reason why they they uh, weren't able to beat the stars. But they certainly put up quite an effort, and you just you can't blame them. You know, it it was a great performance cry by Grubauer. You know, all their all their uh, forwards were just really good at scoring, um, and. You know, their defense, again, we mentioned it. A lot of shot blockers on that. Adam Larson, I think, led the league either in the playoffs or in the regular season in uh, block shots. So I I love what we saw from the Kraken. And then switching it to the Dallas Stars, I had mentioned in 2020 that, you know, that the reason why they lost in the cup final and Evil's sort of even struggled uh, to get past Vegas was they just, they couldn't score a lot of goals. You know, they... They would get two a night, maybe three a night, but sometimes they'd have that often common one goal. And it puts a lot of pressure on on the goalie to pretty much has to have to post a shutout or let only one goal in for your team to win. But this Dallas team, um, just with the resurgence of Joe Pavelski, um, with the way that Ben has stepped up, with the way that Sagan has stepped up, Dadanoff, man, kind of came out of nowhere. I think I thought that. No, excuse me. I thought, I believe he was last with Montreal. Once Montreal kind of let him go, I thought he was going to go to the KHL. But Dallas believed in him, and boy, has he been quite a performer for them in the playoffs. I like what I've seen from him. Um, you know, he's had goals, but when he has the puck, he he can playmake, and he can have that ability to just be a threat with the puck. Um, Wyatt Johnson on this team. Rookie coming out of nowhere. A lot of a lot of teams, man, they just have these rookies that come out of nowhere and are able to just perform. And he's just another one in that in that uh, pile. And he he had the game winner last night, you know, and it was off of an icing that he negated because he was indeed cherry picking, but again, still was able to just find an angle on Grubauer to stick it uh, top shelf near side. They have a stellar stellar team. Um, I think they match up well against Vegas. Um, You know, I think I I, I think they do. If Robbins Robertson gets going. Yes. I I don't know if you heard them talking about that last night, but zero goals. And I want to say, is it uh, maybe Haskin? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I think you're right. There's two guys and he's Robinson or Robertson is one of them. He's. Got to start finding that back of the net again. They they were able to get, you know, past the Seattle team without him. 
you know, we're at that stage in the playoffs where you need everybody contributing, especially mm-hmm. those first two lines. You know, Natchez, right. a la Natchez in Carolina, a la Barkov in Florida. Um, yes. You, you, you know, some people need to start scoring, and, and Robertson is one of them for Dallas. But like you said, the, the other guys got it done, though, for this series. Yeah. I mean, Joe Pavelski, it's so funny. We were actually having a, not a little debate, but we were just having a chat, like who's the best American-born player. And it was Kachuk versus Matthews, Matthew Kachuk versus Matthews. And that same night we had that discussion later, Pavelski put a four, he had a four goal uh, performance in game one of that, of this Seattle series. Now they ended up losing that game. Yes, but he ended up with eight goals in this series, and that was a Dallas Stars franchise record for most goals in a playoff series with eight. Um, so if he can continue, um, he's actually on Robertson's line. I forget who their uh, that third forward is on the line. I don't think it's Dad enough because I think he plays with Ben. But uh, Pavelski's line looks really good. And like you said, if Robertson can just get some goals and find the back of the net, they're going to be a tough team to beat. Because I really like their defense. You know, their, their defense is great. And they've always been known as a pretty sound defensive team. Not up there in the likes of, say, the Islanders and Carolina, but certainly up there in the top 10, maybe even top five, arguably. Um, and now that they have a good defense combined with a really good offense with how often they're scoring and how much they score, you also have a really good goaltender in Ottinger. And you know, if we're going to make predictions for these series, I have to give the edge to the Dallas Stars simply because of Ottinger and just with how with how much they're able to score now that they finally get scoring from everybody. And I'm going to say Dallas in seven. I think that this is another series that goes the distance. I don't see it going quickly. Um, and if Aiden Hill keeps playing the way that he's playing, it's definitely going seven. So uh, I, I'll give the edge to the Dallas Stars because I believe they have the better goal goalie and i think that he will rebound in this series um on top of the yeah. fact that i think you know to your point robertson starts you know potting some goals and and jimmy ben sagan and pavelski just continue to do what they're doing i have to give the edge to them um yeah i i would i would um i would agree i, I think I do think their goaling gives them the edge. I think that Bruce Cassidy at the helm of Vegas is is um for anybody that thinks that will that that coaching aspect to him unless unless it really comes down to a coaching like a very specific coaching move, I think if it's just an untested coaching battle between these two where it's most most of the players just going at it and the coaches are just trying to keep everybody um you know with a level head that kind of thing i would also then give the edge to dallas um but if it if it does shift toward you know vegas has got to get some momentum going look to the coach to start it um whether it's jumbling up the lines maybe healthy scratching somebody swapping out the goalies whatever it might be then I'd give the edge to Vegas. But at well, that point, you're still behind the eight ball, and Vegas is now trying to catch up in a series against Dallas. So it's, well, it's, anybody, s- it's anybody's series, man. 
<laughs> oh yeah, this this one is up for grabs. By no means am I giving the. Um, I mean, I said a slight edge simply because of their goalie. I think, I think you could pretty much say their offense is is the same. You know, with Marcia So Stone and Jack Eichel, you can say Pavelski, um, Ben and Sagan. They're all pretty relatively the same. Um, defense again, the same thing. I think they're pretty well matched. You were mentioning, and I think it, it's true for both these teams. These are teams that have big you know, physical, uh, defenseman. Um, so I, I, again, I'd have to say that they're relatively the same in that regard. And then goaltending. I, I just think Ottinger's bigger sample size, even outside of these playoffs, you know, he's had experience in the past. Um, and, you know, compared to Aiden Hill also talking about Bruce Cassidy and his, uh, influence i guess and just how he can be the one to set them uh above dallas when he healthy scratched kessel and i forget who went in for him i don't know but when he healthy scratched kessel i think it was the turnaround for them um and you know i'm a big kessel fan i think everybody is really just with the guy he is but you know you needed somebody in the lineup that maybe was a little faster um, maybe he was a little bit more uh, two-dimensional. Maybe with somebody who could play offense, but also could, could play defense. Um, you know, Kessel's only been known for his offensive capabilities. I think taking him out of this lineup has just done that. And and since he's been out of the lineup, they have been a really good team to play, a really hard team to play against. And now they find themselves in the Western Conference Finals. I will say though, if you want to bring up coaching. And if this series does go seven games, I would like to tell you, Ann, and everybody listening, uh, Peter DeBoer is 7-0 and in game sevens across the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, mm. San Jose Sharks, and the New Jersey Devils, and now Dallas. So if this does go seven, not only do I give the edge to the Dallas Stars because of Ottinger, but because they have a coach who's just well-versed in game sevens. Um and and like like we said, uh, that's the the early in that series with Dallas and Kraken, and even later sometimes in those games when Andrew wasn't playing his best, they were high scoring. You know, there there were a lot of goals. Game seven, it's a two one final, low scoring, not not like the the previous couple of games that they had played. Two one game, very unlike how they were playing earlier in the series. So he just knows how to coach players in game sevens. And I think he's a great coach, probably one of the most underrated coaches in the league. Nobody really thinks about him because he's kind of bounced a lot in his career, very similar to Paul Maurice. But yeah, uh, I I think this is going to be a really gr- a really good series. I don't know if I'd say this would be the best of the remaining because I think that Florida Carolina series, oh man, I keep seeing Canes in four. I keep seeing Canes in five. I think this goes six seven games. I really do. With the way the Florida Panthers have been playing, they have I have seen no signs. I think it's six. Yeah. I have I've seen no signs from this team that they're gonna be a quick out. You know? No. Look at what they did to Boston. Forget about how Boston was the best team in the regular season. Forget about how good they were, yada yada yada. 
they forced game seven after being down three, one and ended up winning. If they were a down and out team, they wouldn't have gotten to the Eastern conference finals because they would hey, have. Don't, hey, hey, hold, hold on. You, you glossed over something else too. They, they forced for overtime in game seven. You're right. With one minute left. Yes. Yes. You're right. I, man, I for, completely forgot that. Um, Montour, another just stellar, you know, I think similar to the Seattle Kraken is what the Florida Panthers are. You're just seeing a lot of, you know, not only do they have a superstar, and like we mentioned, the reason why Seattle didn't move on is because they didn't necessarily have that superstar. They had a lot of guys who could score, but not one guy you could rely on solely. Florida has that in Matthew Kachuk. You know, guys like Sam Bennett, guys like Barkov, and I know Barkov's been struggling, but he certainly has the capabilities of scoring. Um, and Montour, you know, uh, oh, Verhage, gosh, Verhage. That, he's becoming, yeah, yeah. he's becoming, I little side note, but Verhage is becoming one of my favorite players in the league, man. That guy is just so under the radar. So just people don't even know how to pronounce his name. That's how under the radar he is. And again, when you look at it, it's a very hard name to pronounce anyway, but, uh, you know, so all those guys have the ability to score, but they have the superstar that Seattle lacked that has kind of pushed them over the edge has been able to be like, you know what guys, I'm going to put this team on my back just for this one play or, or just to get us back in this series, whatever they have that Matthew Kachuk that Seattle lacked. And, you know, you want to talk about how Timo Meyer was getting under your skin and <laughs> Matthew Kachuk is 10 times a player that Timo Meyer is. And he is going to really get under your skin. You know, Meyer was sure he can be physical yeah. at times and sure he can be a little bit of a pest. You're dealing with a guy who, like we said, he chews that mouth guard and it's, nah, 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 nah. it's just, he's in your <laughs> face, man. He's going to, he's going to annoy you. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, if, if I had to say, and you know, I just, I just don't see Carolina getting past Florida, I really, you know, with the way that Bob has been playing, with the way that this team has been structured right. since since game, um, since game five, I just I have to give the edge to them. Um, you know, they're they they've just been playing so well. But Brovsky's playing at a high rate. Um, look for that to continue, and you know, if they can get the depth scoring, and if Barkov could step it up a little bit, I think it's going to be tough for a Carolina team to get past them. Yeah, I I truly believe that if the cadence continues from round two and round one, I do think that Carolina will come out of this series. And whether it goes six, whether it goes seven, I don't think the length of the series is going to is going. Again, this is assuming that they carry on the way that they have been in round one, round two. If right. they carry on exactly the same. I do think that Carolina comes out of this series and we sort of end up saying collectively as a community, the NHL community, we end up accident. We end up saying, yeah, Carolina kind of had a walk there to the end, sort of like how we did with, with Boston back when they visited uh, okay. uh, St. Louis for the, for the Stanley cup, you know, they got to the Eastern conference finals against the Canes and yes, they completely swept us in that series. And I don't necessarily think we'll sweep Florida, but again, if everything continues as such and they are continuing 
Anderson continues to put together A plus performance after A plus performance, and yeah, throwing a couple B performances for him there. But I mean, in my opinion, he's earned it at this point. I've been that guy's number one critic for the last year and a half, um, two years maybe even. <laughs> so you're still his critic, even. I'm still, yeah, I, I've been calling for him to get pulled <laughs> all throughout the series. So yeah, um, so little tattletale yeah. here, little reference, but. In game five, was it when the Devils got off to that quick start? He he was like, "Get him out!" I was like, "Dude, it's it's one Pull goal." <laughs> like, I was like, "You have that short of a leash on this guy." So you're definitely still a critic of him, but yeah, you're definitely right. He's playing at a high level. I do think, yeah. And so if he can match Bobrovsky, and then if that can, if the, if if Anderson can match Bobrovsky, and and he takes away. The fact the goaltender, you know, the goaltender walking away with the series, if he can take that element away, I do think this Canes team can put together a solid series performance and take care of business, whether it's in five, six or seven games. I still think that if they carry on the way that they should be, the way that they have, we'll end up saying that. But I think it's much more likely that we're just going to have an absolute dogfight of a series. Um, okay. And I do think it'll still go, you know, six, seven games either way. Okay. So just to clarify, um, did you say that if Carolina wins and goes to the cup, you would agree in saying that they had a cakewalk or are you, are you just saying that I, people are going to say that about you guys? Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm making a prediction. Okay. I'm saying that if Carolina sticks to their brand of hockey, they listen to Rob Brendamore. And nothing changes from round one and round two. Okay. Or very little, rather. If very little, rather, changes. I think we're going to end up walking away from this series saying, damn, Carolina kind of had a cakewalk to the end there. Um, okay. With Florida knocking off Boston and Toronto. Uh, that's how I think it's going to go. But again, they might. The, the, the probability states that they probably will not be able to continue that level of you know that level of hockey all the way through this series and if that's the case if it just goes to a straight us first them it is a tall order for carolina tavo teravainen is coming back um, but obviously Svechnikov and max i mean max patch i really don't even count that guy but he's a big name so oh you gotta speaking of your injuries i don't know if you uh saw this but um Turbo was saying how well the doctors handled the injury that it's possibly could come back in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know when, what game that. Could yeah, be. that's what that's... I just. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. I was gonna say I, I literally think you just mentioned that, but I I didn't yeah. hear it. But yeah, no, I. It's um that'll be great to have. Uh, he was struggling though in in these playoffs, and I think he even took a. I don't know if a step back is the right term. But I think he had an underwhelming season um, with uh, the Canes. Yeah, yeah, he did. I yes, he did. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I won't. I won't try and you know sugarcoat that. Yeah, the regular season for him, nothing special, lackluster. Although I think he was injured for a good portion this season. I could be wrong there, but okay. either way, his postseason, he's only played I think one and a half, two and a half games. Took a bad slash on the wrist that broke his hand. 
Yeah. If he comes back, I, I gotta I gotta believe that he only offers a benefit because the rest of the guys are struggling. It's just the same thing with Aho, with uh, McDavid and Drysaitel as it is with Aho and Natchez. You know, those guys mm-hmm. are targeted. Those guys are covered. They don't get a whole lot of opportunity, real good opportunities rather, to score goals because they know that they're the goal scorers. So. Yeah. But again, Gosh. If, if everybody else continues to carry the torch like they have been, they'll be okay. Or even if, you know, some of the better guys start getting off too. But yeah. you got to wait till Thursday, sadly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thank you, NHL scheduling. Thank you. <laughs> um, also, I'd like to just mention that on Mother's Day, Sunday, uh, they scheduled a game six elimination game at 10 p.m. Um, meanwhile, the. Uh, Boston Celtics and 76ers game on Mother's Day was at 3.30. So, you know, that's just one other thing that we have talked about previously, but ESPN really needs to fix their – and this is this also goes along with scheduling, you know, because the NHL comes out with the schedule. It's not like the ESPN does that, but they need to work together in a better way to promote this game because you had – again – the whole storyline of that Vegas um, Edmonton series was the number one pick in 2015 against the number uh, number two pick in McDavid and Eichel. And you had that game on at 10 PM. And again, you know, it's not to say that sports run off of the East coast and all those watchers, but it could it would eight o'clock have killed you. You know, it, it, it could a 7 PM start killed you that day. You know, why, why 10 PM? But, Regardless, uh, you know, one question I just wanted to mention to you, and you don't have to talk about it. It could be rhetorical, but if you wanted to comment, you could. I almost wondered what this team would have looked like had they had Svechnikov, man. I mean, with how good they are now, missing him and Turbo and Patch. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they probably would have swept the Devils easily. (laughs) And then that that. Islander series probably ended in five, maybe another sweep. I mean, because Svechnikov right. is just a playoff performer. So right. sucks to see him go. It's tough. It's tough not having uh, Svechnikov. I, I know we're only ha- we're halfway through at this point, and for this series at least, it's not likely. Turbo is the more likely one right now. But – Going back to that first game of the playoffs in Carolina, and Svechnikov is, you know, standing there doing the the fire horn. Yeah, the Hurricanes horn. Yep. His his leg looked pretty damn solid to me. So I speculated it back then. We haven't heard anything on it. I did say back then, we go deep, maybe see him coming back. We're entering that deep territory here. Um, this is the first half of going deep in the playoffs, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if anything amounts with him. But um, as it's always been with the Canes, though, man, it, it it very much is that next man up. They carry that notion all throughout the the regular season. They, I mean, it, it's low key, but they're a team that deal with a lot of injuries during the regular season, not just this season included. You go back the last five years. And I don't think Taravainen's really put together a full season, a full healthy season. Um, Wasn't we had Aho, all the COVID. Aho dealt with, yeah, Aho dealt with something. I, did, yep. I think he did. He did. I, yeah. I believe you're right on that. 
Um, so they're, they're a team that is used to playing with those taxi guys. Um, and I really think that, that, I mean, we're seeing it carry merit here in the, in the postseason. They're, they're in a similar situation to Colorado and they don't look nearly, I mean, it's night and day if you stack those two franchises against each other during this playoff. So yeah, something to be said there. Have to agree. And uh, gosh, if one, if one thing, if Kovas gave it, gave us one good thing, it was the term taxi squad. I love that. So I, I like how you just mentioned, you know, the, the taxi um, squad, they, they have a good taxi squad there to just have another guy fill in. Um, yeah. but Hey, we'll look, we'll look forward to these series. So game one of the Carolina Florida Panthers series will be eight o'clock on Thursday on TNT. And then on Friday, game one of Dallas and Vegas will be on uh, ESPN at 8 PM. So we had unfortunately had to wait two days for, to see any action, but this is the unfortunate truth of only four teams left. Uh, and the conference finals with, you know, just every other team playing. So with that, uh, with that being said, enjoy those games. These are going to be great series. I can't wait for them to start. Uh, and I don't know how I'm going to kill the next two days with my time, but I'll figure <laughs> it out. Um, but if, if that's it for you, and I don't know if you want to say anything else, but without further it's ado, me. all right, then uh, everybody knows. It's a peace out. Peace out. <laughs> The Adam Devine.